listener production. Hi there, I'm Bencion Siebert and thanks for joining me on The Briefing. 70% of people diagnosed with ovarian cancer in Australia catch the disease late. And about half the people who get it die within five years. Today, we're bringing you a special two-part series on ovarian cancer and why our failure to talk about it is hurting patients. In case you missed it, you can go back to the previous episode in your feed to have a listen to part one. Simon Beaton is a producer here at The Briefing and sadly, his mum, Deb, was diagnosed with ovarian cancer less than six months ago. That's why he's bringing you this important story today. Simon, this must have been an incredibly difficult story for you to tell. It was really hard. Part of my personal response, Benson, to finding out about mum had actually been to avoid doing a lot of research because I knew that the statistics were so shocking and I just didn't want to see them. But putting this together, I, I really did just dive in because it is such an important issue and it's not getting the awareness and it's not getting the funding that it really needs. You know, every day in Australia, on average, five women will find out that they have ovarian cancer and over two and a half women will lose their lives to it less than five years after getting that diagnosis. So part of the problem is that the symptoms are vague and the vast majority of cases are already in advanced stages of the cancer, as you noted at the top. And my mum is one of those. She's stage three and in just a few short months, she's already undergone major surgery and is currently in chemo right now. Sorry, Simon, that's awful. For this episode, you spoke with your mum and with Lisa, who's been living with ovarian cancer for 14 years. Yeah, that's right. And I asked Lisa to tell me about when she was first diagnosed 14 years ago. Yeah, so I was 48-ish and unlike lots of people, I think, with ovarian cancer, I hadn't had months or even years of symptoms that were being ignored. So I had been for my yearly smear with the doctor and she was doing an examination and she said, oh, your ovaries are a bit swollen. Maybe when you get your next mammogram, you should get an ultrasound. And of course, I didn't think anything. It didn't mean anything to me. I didn't even know what, what that might involve. And it, and it took me a while to, to do anything about it. I was realizing I wasn't eating, which is very unusual for me. And it seemed to be quite a good thing. As the weeks went by, I realized I wasn't eating and I was losing a lot of weight. And I was feeling a little bit bloated. And I, I thought, well, I'm 48, maybe this is menopause. And I'm going to get every single symptom I haven't had for my entire life. And they did an ultrasound. And and when the trainee ultrasound person comes in and says, oh, I'll just get my supervisor if that's okay. And I thought, ah, yes, possibly not. They found the tumours in my ovaries and I was in hospital getting them removed within 10 days. What was the prognosis at that point? This is something, no one ever pulled any punches. It's, you know, there was no easy cure. They would hope to address it with various things, but you know, who knew? So I went and had chemo quite soon after my first operation, which is, they like to do it within six weeks, I think it is, which didn't have much of an effect as it happens, although it, it held everything, but it, it didn't cure me. And then over the next, oh, I suppose, 10 years, you know, I've probably had five different operations when the cancers flared up and I think I had my spleen out, I've had a bit of my liver cut out, I've had my vaginal vault cut out and 
not all of it, but, you know, bits of it. So all those things that when you have ovarian cancer, you suddenly learn terms and you discover parts of your body that you weren't quite sure you had before. And you suddenly get used to discussing things that perhaps my grandmother would have been a bit horrified to have discussed. I guess you've just got to get out there and, and talk about it and so people understand what's going on. My most recent recurrence, if you like, it's never been gone, but my most recent flare-up was two Novembers ago and the medication wasn't doing anything and the oncologist had a bit of a come-to-Jesus talk with me and said, look, the, the, the cancer's flaring up, chemo didn't work, this could be the beginning of the end. And, you know, here I am nearly a year and a half later, so it's, it's doing its trick at the moment. Mum, can you share what your journey has been like so far? So, you know, my first sign was postmenopausal bleeding, which is an unusual presenting symptom. Like you, Lisa, she ordered the ultrasound. I happened to go that day. I could tell by the radiologist's response that wasn't going to be good news. Ovarian cancer was not even on the radar. So that was quite a big, you know, I wasn't prepared for the my GP ringing me that afternoon saying, uh, we think you have ovarian cancer. But I wasn't surprised. Like somehow I knew something was wrong. It can take a while before you know what you're deal- actually dealing with and the degree of it. Does that make it hard to deal with it if you're not sure what you're dealing with? Oh, yeah. With? I, I, you know, I think it's just information overload in that we know so little about it, most of us. Most of us don't know people who've had ovarian cancer unless there's some sort of genetic tendency in the family. So we know so little and then we're on this big learning curve and the doctors have only so much time to tell you so much and give you some pre-prepared information, but then you're on your own trying to work out what you might have and what you might be facing really because no one can tell you. You hear the rumours, you hear the stories and you're not quite sure where you fit in. Mm. I, I would say in the 14 years since I was diagnosed, the awareness has risen and there has been quite a lot of work done trying to raise awareness of symptoms particularly. And that's not just for women, that's also for medical professionals. I know a lot of women previously and, and maybe still, as I say, it gets really sidelined and medical professionals have said, oh, it's just menopause or it's it's women's issues or, you know, do you really think there's anything wrong? And women being women go, oh, no, it's probably just me. And so everything gets pushed back. And that, and that's why I think with ovarian cancer particularly, it's often diagnosed quite late. Somebody described to me once, which I've always remembered this, is that ovarian cancer, and maybe it's all cancers, I don't know, it's like a dandelion. You know, you blow a dandelion flower and the seeds go everywhere. And so even though when you have surgical procedures, they think, okay, we've got everything we can see, everything we can feel, everything that the scans have shown us, all the things that we've gone in as surgeons and dug away and got got, got it out. But those dandelion seeds are still there and they're just waiting to, to sprout. Mm. So one minute you're being told, look, you're in the best group. We, we can do this treatment for you and, you know, you, you might, we might not get a cure with you. And then the next thing you've been told, oh, you can't have that treatment because you're not actually in that optimal group anymore and what about we have this treatment? It's that constant uncertainty. Breast cancer does a fantastic job of not just fundraising but also awareness raising. So everybody knows about breast self-breast examinations and about mammograms and all the things that we need to do. It's a harder subject to get people to talk about 
what's going on down there. You know, and I think that's one of the issues, and and that's going to take a big shift to make that easier. We actually spoke about that on this morning's episode, and the idea that breast cancer is seen as sexier. Mm. And do you think that people care less about ovarian cancer? Ultimately, the I think the death rate's higher. So once you know a little about it, a bit about it, you care a lot more about it. But again, I think it's just talking about it. And breast cancer is easier to talk about and easier to profile. And rugby teams and league teams will run out with pink ribbon day or you know with pink rugby jerseys to netball outfits or whatever to support breast cancer. So I think the ovarian one's a harder one for people to approach like that. You know, you've got a lot more people that survive breast cancer and pick their lives up and they're happy to activate and carry that through and fundraise because of their own experience. But with ovarian cancer, so many women spend what short time they have left in intensive treatment. You know, they've, they've passed away quite early. There's not so much of that opportunity for people who've recovered to then go on and, and be activists and advocates. Lisa, over the last 14 years, what, what has been the hardest aspect of your journey? I suppose I've been lucky in that I haven't had symptoms from the disease. The, the, the main impact on me has been the side effect of the, of the treatment. Give me achy bones over death any day. So, yeah. you know, I, I'll, I'll live with it while I have to. Um, but the actual disease itself hasn't taken off to the point yet where that causes me any grief. How about you, Mum, in the space of, what, less than six months? I found the operation really difficult. There were certain times in that before I left the hospital where I thought, I can't do this. <laughs> Maybe I'm a wimp. Um, and the side <laughs> no. effects, to the, <laughs> the side effects to the chemo have also been hard to take. But I think for me it's the uncertainty, like not being able to plan and having plans disrupted already. Um, and also the effect on everybody else around. My mum is 89 years old. The fear that I might predecease her and trying to protect her from the greater impact of that, you know, she still doesn't know I've got ovarian cancer. Yeah. So um, that side of it's hard and the impact on you, Simon, and my daughter and that part of it is difficult. Yeah. I mean, what was it like? even say for myself or my sister, um, having to tell us that that first time. I think I was thinking about me. I knew I needed to be really honest and open with you too. There were a lot of people that I didn't share it with straight away because I didn't know what I was dealing with. I just felt it was really important that you know what was going on and you know that we didn't know what was going on. You know, like we didn't know, we wouldn't know for as things until things rolled out focus on accepting what I can't change and having the courage to change what I can and the wisdom to know the difference has really helped me emotionally. But also on that point though, and you mentioned this before, Lisa, lots of young women get this and I really feel for them. They're still trying to work. I mean, if you're very early in your career, it's a big disruption. If you haven't had children yet, that's a huge thing. If you've got children and you've got to care for them at the same time, if you're in a relationship or not in a relationship, uh, you know, when you're 30 or in your 20s even, you know, it, it's very, very challenging. 
there's so many aspects beside the disease itself and the treatment that make this a really hard journey. So I'm in the lucky group and it's hard for me. Put it that way. What do you hope for the future? Lisa, do you want to go first? You know what? I'd like to live a bit longer. And I always say to my oncologist, just keep me alive long enough for that next drug to come along. And in that case, that will give me my next chunk of time. And you just keep doing that for a few more years. And then I'll probably be at a time where I'll think, okay, I've had a, I've had a reasonable go. Um, and that's what they've done, I guess. I'm still here 14 years later. They've got the good luck or good management. They've got, got or, and a lot of good luck. I do know it's a lot of good luck. They, the treatments kept me going. And I just like to think that it won't be too long before there'll be some other drugs that will come through that will, that will target the um, ovarian cancer drugs really strongly and, give us an opportunity for, for longer life and quality of life. And I know God forgive me, but you know, I'd really like to, I'd like them to focus on the, on finding the, I think cures to opt- optimistic, but finding the suppressant drug. I think that's more important for me personally than the profile raising, which is equally important, but I kind of feel I've done that. So bring on the research guys. <laughs> Mum, how about you? <laughs> for me personally, I am holding on to the hope that this frontline treatment will be successful. I'll respond to the chemo very well. And then I won't have a recurrence for decades. Um, And then I'll worry about that recurrence if and when it arises. But, you know, that might be a little overly optimistic, but why not? But um, I want quality of life as well. So I don't want to have years and years of debilitating treatment only to not be able to have the good times in between. I would sacrifice longevity of life for that. And the trouble is when you're faced with these decisions, you don't know what the outcome's going to be. So they're very hard decisions to make. And for ovarian cancer itself, I do hope there's more research. You know, it needs a lot of money as well as the people who are passionate about trying to pursue this research. So that's my hope. Thank you so much to the both of you for your time and speaking so openly. Thank you, Simon. It's a pleasure. Thanks. Yeah, indeed. That was one of our producers here at The Briefing, Simon Beaton. Details on how to get in touch with Ovarian Cancer Australia are in our show notes if you'd like to check them out. Being the last day of their awareness campaign, every dollar that's donated will be doubled. And that's it for this afternoon's episode of The Briefing. We'll return tomorrow from 6am, but in the meantime, please do reach out with your thoughts, comments, or any story ideas you'd like us to look into. You can find us at The Briefing Podcast on Instagram. I'm Ben Sion Siebert. Thanks for joining us. (laughs) 